You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt. And um, I would like to begin today by calling in the spirits. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to the ancestors for each person who will listen to the show whenever it is that time comes that you choose to do so throughout time. I call out to all of those ancestors who bring that which is good and true and beautiful into our lives. Those who lived well, those who died well, those who carry within their own soul the desire to be there for those who are coming and to help the living to do what we are here to do. So I call out to those ancestors to be with us here today. Not only those who are in human form, but those that go back through time, through planets, and through galaxies, all the way back to the very beginning of life in form. I call out to our ancestors that extend all the way back through this great uh, history of dreamers. <coughs> so I call out to that one most essential ancestor, the Earth. And I ask each one listening to the show to take a moment now and to breathe and to extend down into the earth from your body, through your heart, to your belly, through your legs, into the earth, all the way down to the very center of the earth. And in that very center of the earth, extend out your energy to give gratitude for your life. And I ask you to please give gratitude for this day. Give gratitude for the miracle of life that you share and give thanks to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming that that brought life as we know it to the face of this planet. That even on the worst days, life itself remains a miracle unchanged. And for each one of us, no matter what the day holds, may we live in a way that keeps that miracle um, warm and true and alive in our bellies and brings that miracle up into our hearts that we might greet each other in such a way that honors and acknowledges the miracle in all living things so we call up the energy of the earth into our proceedings here today into our bodies into our circle we call up the energy of the earth to ask to bring to us the energy of belonging the energy of grounding the energy of place and home We call out to the earth to help us to understand and to feel the connections and interconnections of this reality and to know our place in the oneness of all things. And we ask the earth to bring to us the wisdom of manifestation that we might learn how to be in form in a good way. And with the energy of the earth filling us, our own energy grounded down to the center of the earth, We let our energies rise from the belly to the heart and the heart to the mind and from the mind out into the sky and through all the layers of the sky and all the way out into the cosmos and all the way up, however we conceive of that, all the way up to the highest power and by whatever name you call that power, I invite you to call it down into yourself, into your day, into this circle. 
And I invite you to call in through this energy, the energy of protection, the energy of blessing, and the energy of generosity, and to call in the benevolence of this universe. I ask you to call down all the wisdom of the cosmos and allow this energy to infuse you in this day. And as we draw the energy of the sky down through all the realms of the sky into the top of your head and into your body, allow within yourself the energy of the earth and sky to mix and dance and to come together in the great, great balancing wholeness of the Tao, the energy of yin and yang, earth and sky. And let these energies be within you in a way that allows you to feel the robust energy of this big love, these two great lovers the beginning of all of this dance of life, the beginning of all form here within you in your own energetic awareness. And into that place of potential and creativity, we call forth the energy of this and spirit of the heart. We ask the heart to be present now and to open in your amazing capacity as a crucible that allows the fiery passions of the belly to mix and merge with the crystal clarity of the mind and come together in such a way that these two energies are mixed in their essence and give forth a third energy, which is your own creative understanding of your soul's true purpose, the feeling of that energy and the knowing that you have gifts to bring to the world. And may you find in your heart today the courage to bring those gifts out in some way, large or small, and share them with all living things. So with the spirits gathered round, connected below and above and within us, We give thanks for this day, for this opportunity. May what needs to be said be said and what needs to be heard be heard. And may all these proceedings go forward in a good way for all living things. So I would like to give thanks today to Chris and to all of those who donate to keep the show on the air. There are um, financial responsibilities uh, to keep the show available, which is otherwise free to people. Um, as long as you are capable of accessing a computer, which of course means it's not entirely free, but it's as close as we can get. And these shows are available to wherever anyone has an internet connection. And we now have going on four years of shows in the archives for you. And so I ask those of you that are moved by this show or any show to consider allowing that movement of the heart to move you into action and consider donating to the show. I think many people feel like they don't have anything to give because their amount would be so small. But with the show going out globally, I think we need to not think about it as Americans. If I don't have $40 to give, I don't have anything. There are people all over the world giving as much as $5 or rubles or euros or whatever their increment of currency is. And 15 of you giving $5 pays for a show. And so I encourage you to offer what you can in some way so that we are able to keep the show alive and well and to continue to offer in the ways that are not financial, which are also deeply appreciated in your questions, in your ideas for shows, in your sharing the links, talking about these things, bringing them into your practice. And also, (coughs) excuse me, I'm still recovering um, after last week, but also in those ways that you are doing to help the show itself become more popular, which would be to link to your sites to talk about it and all of the many ways um, that we communicate with each other, both face-to-face when we're together and also in cyberspace. So I give thanks to all of you for all that you're doing to help the show to grow. 
Um, I wanted to say this a little bit differently this week because I've been um, in conversation with some students and it made me think that I talk a lot about um, how important it is that the actions that we take in life are meaningful to us, that we that we live a life of purpose and meaning, things that have heart meaning for us. And so as long as this show is meaningful and valuable, it's something that I will most likely expend energy and resources to do. <clears throat> At the same time, I also have to balance, we all have to balance in, in doing things in our life that the actions that we are taking are sustainable energetically and that in doing this thing that we love that we are not also simultaneously depleting ourselves um, in a way that is imbalanced. Now, the thing about balance, of course, is it's a constant moving state of ebb and flow. And so there's sometimes that we expend a great deal of energy and then we need to recover. And that's fine. That's not what I'm talking about. But if the show becomes a constant drain on my resources, even though I enjoy doing it even, and even though it is meaningful for you, I will not be able to continue doing it. Because as a shamanic practitioner, one of my highest goals is to try to live in a state of Aini, even in a contemporary world where it's nearly impossible and to do so and to teach this and to teach it i must model and and to model it i have to be careful about all the things that i do not only are they a true expression of my soul's purpose but i am i doing them in a way that is energy sustaining and not depleting and so this is something to understand when you think about what you can do if the show is valuable to you when you think about what you can do to keep this thing of value in, the, in your life, one of the things to do is to make sure the show doesn't become a depleting situation in mine. Because if it does, I simply can't do it because then I would be, of course, in a horrible hypocrite and in conflict with the very teachings that I am so committed to offering. And this is part of the deep understanding about shamanism and Aini. And it's part of what has been emerging in our conversations the last few weeks about working with spirit, what are helping spirits, how do we work with them, and working in journeys is coming to understand the nature of that reality better. So if the show is meaningful to you in any way, even in irritation, please consider supporting the show financially. And you can go to whyshamanismnow.com, click on the support button, and donate any amount, large or small, it's all greatly appreciated, and it does add up. Even the very small and humble donations from far-flung reaches on the planet are deeply, deeply appreciated. And thank you all for making the show something that is of value um, for you and for me. Um, another thing to consider along these lines for those of you that are starting to say things like, I've been doing training with so-and-so for however many years, and now that I'm listening to your show, I can finally make sense out of it. Maybe you should consider doing training with me. Now, I usually, I've been on this show for four, almost, for four years, almost four whole years, and I don't do a lot of self-promotion. However, I'm beginning to see a theme emerging out there, and the theme goes something like this. I'm spending thousands of dollars learning this train, this shamanic training with so-and-so over here, and none of that has ever made any sense to me until I started listening to your show and could make it work in my life. There's an energetic dissonance there, people. <laughs> so if you are finding that this humble 
hour-a-week radio show is making your many thousands of dollars shamanic training finally make sense for you, you need to think about something there. There needs to be some sort of exchange of energy or change of teachers. People, we are running out of time for humans to get a grip on the fact that the solutions for everything that is going on today are going to need to involve spirit. And the most time-tested way of involving spirit actually in our problem-solving actions is through shamanic skills. So this isn't so much about me as it is about us. And so think about what you're doing, people, and why you're doing it and how to do it the most robust and best way possible. And I say this partly because I've noticed this theme in listeners, listeners who who are, love the show, and where is that going in terms of action? And at the same time, we have all of our summer spring programs open and not filling up. So there's a dissonance in this somewhere that I don't completely understand, but I really encourage you to think about it and act. If the teachings you are getting from a weekly podcast, people, are so valuable, imagine what it would be to be here in person and to take this teaching on with commitment and to actually go into the teachings. I will never, ever be able to deliver in a weekly podcast because it's irresponsible. Okay, I'm going to get off this soapbox now, but... I feel this very strongly as spring is emerging here in the Northern Hemisphere and people are thinking about what am I going to do for the summer and moving their energy out in the world and consider whether doing the same thing you've been doing for years is actually the right course of action. It's 2012, people. We need to take a step back, regroup, marshal our resources and move forward in a way that is true and clear and direct and does not deplete our energy, but it is sustaining and um, rejuvenating and synergizing. Now is the time. So consider that. And if you want to look for courses, we're finally got our website out of the gripping hands of the pharmaceutical company selling Viagra. Yay! And you can mostly... Um, find the um, spring and summer classes available online. Primarily the year one training is open and ready for people to come on down. So we are live this week and you are invited to call in if you have a question about the show topic. (laughs) Not just because you want to ramble on about something. Um, And you can reach us at 512-772-1938 or Skype us from the co-creatornetwork.com site, or email me at christina at lastmasscenter.org, and I would be happy to read your um, email on the air and answer your question the best of my ability. So today, our topic is shamanic journeying, a a few tricks of the trade. Um, And I'm just continuing step-by-step, gingerly, along the path, of speaking a little bit deeper about working with spirit and um, working in journeys. And I have in the past, again, because I'm still working out for myself what is responsible and what is not uh, to offer online 
um, or in a podcast, basically, when these teachings are really meant to be done as oral traditions. And I, and I am just learning myself. So I may misstep, but I am merging here along the way of talking a little bit deeper about working with spirit because so many of you are asking. And yet again, I have to say, I am not going to give all of my best stuff for you for free in a podcast. It isn't going to happen, people. Deal with it. If you want the goods, the real goods, you need to be with me in person and learn these teachings as an oral tradition. I don't care where technology goes, and I don't care if I have to go take a job at Starbucks. It isn't going to happen. So there's only so deep I'm going to go here in weekly podcasts because I take this work very seriously. I take the potential damage in it very seriously, and I take the potential ecstasy in it very seriously. And so we can only go so far this way. And if you want more, you may need to get on an airplane. Okay, so like I said, I was getting off that soapbox. So here we are. Continuing down the path of working with spirit and journey. So on April 3rd, we explored what helping spirits are and why do they help us. And I brought in a couple of ideas in that show that were new and challenging to some people. One was the helping spirit's freedom uh, to act as something separate from our free will and our responsibility towards that free will. The other um, idea that I brought in was the amorality of the spirit world. And it's funny, you know, people, a lot of people emailed me and acted like they'd never heard that before in their entire lives. And it's really not something I made up. Um, It's something I've talked about for years with other shamanic teachers. So I don't know why it was a new idea, but it was a new idea for a lot of people. So on April 10th, we continued to explore this idea since it was a bit of a wonderful hornet's nest. Um, And I gave people a challenge, a shamanic challenge, to explore amorality relative um, as it is relative to morality and as it is relative to immorality and to get out of the ping pong match of moral and immoral, which clearly, as we have seen in our world, doesn't actually work. Um, So the issue here is recognizing The fundamental difference when we are working with spirit, including God, that the spirit world is amoral. God is neither moral nor immoral. Even God, people. So this is what we talked about. Now I can go back there again today. Anyway, so what I could see from the questions, though, is how how, um, sort of romantically and sometimes desperately and fondly Americans only, this is only coming out of Americans, are attached to the idea that their helping spirits are a moral force in their life. And that this, this concept of amorality was really, um, really became really problematic. So what this leads me then to talk about the shamanic playpen. I'm going to talk about this for just a little bit here today. Now, the first thing to understand is the shamanic playpen is initially a very good thing. In fact, I believe it's a stroke of genius. And it was largely created by Michael Harner. And I mean this absolutely sincerely. I'm not being sarcastic. I think the shamanic playpen in its inception and propagation is a stroke of genius. So what the shamanic playpen is, it's a space created by a set of beliefs that is safe for anyone to journey in. 
and now it's designed what i mean by anyone is it's designed largely for people from western thinking world and um or a contemporary religious thinking world in other words it may be um a chinese person but they've they're baptist or something like that so so basically it's people that are beginning to be steeped either in western thought or organized religious thought and so the shamanic playpen, in a sense, is really designed for these people because when contemporary people, and I consider all these people contemporary people, begin journeying, they are afraid of all the wrong things, like being afraid the lower world is hell, like being afraid of all of these things where the fear is purely created by their misinformation about the spirit world. They're just generic everyday ordinary reality didn't even have to go to church level of misinformation about the spirit world that comes out of um half understood religious teachings hollywood um books stuff anyway so so in other words contemporary people when they begin to journey they're afraid of all the wrong things and barely able to pay attention to all the right things like your heart instead of your ever so beautiful overwhelmed mind shattery mind and so working with contemporary people is really challenging. So think about this. You have Michael Harner, you know, in the 60s, years ago, decades ago, wanting to start to teach journeying to a bunch of contemporary people. And as a, as a scholar, as an academic, he wants to teach a bunch of people because he really wants to see if this is the real deal which I believe it is anyway. So he wants to teach journeying to a bunch of contemporary people who have no context for shamanism in their beautiful, overstimulated contemporary people brains. And so after a weekend workshop, yes, mind you people, just a weekend for people that have no cultural context around shamanism at all, they're going to go home and try journeying alone with an audio tape or perhaps they're going to drum for themselves. But these people need to be put in a safe space that they can carry with them. And that's the shamanic playpen. And it is genius. I mean, it really shows not only Michael Harner's intelligence, but it shows his deep understanding of what he is doing shamanically. I mean, I think it's brilliant. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And for most people, the safe space created by the shamanic playpen is plenty large enough to find the answers for a typical American life. And that is the other reason that I think it's genius is for most people, they can go to a weekend workshop, they can learn to journey and they can find their helping spirits. I'll meet them in the playpen and they can get real answers to their real life questions, put them into action in their life, make their life better and carry on and live happily ever after with their relationship with their helping spirits and never leave the playpen and be safe doing it. And it's, it's genius. And so I have no problem with shamanic playpen in, in those circumstances. I mean, understand, it's only very recently in the last handful of years that we started using the term compassionate spirits. When I learned to journey, it was just the spirits. There was no distinction made between compassionate spirits and potentially harmful spirits. And that's part of the, the idea of the shamanic playpen. Um, is that the helping spirits are across the board helpful. And for most people, they're going to find that true. It's only really in the last, I don't know, maybe five years 
that the term compassionate spirits started being used and then even started being used by the Foundation for Shamanic Studies. It wasn't really even coined there. So that's really the essence and the reason for and the value in the shamanic playpen. So as long as you stay out of the middle world and away from insects and fish with teeth, you're pretty much okay. And that is close enough to true for most contemporary people. For most contemporary people. And then you get someone who actually has been talking to spirits their whole life and been misdiagnosed with some form of mental illness. Or you get someone whose life was fine until their young child died. You know, you get someone who's actually living a life that's outside of the norm significantly. And then the answers they need aren't in the playpen anymore. But even even if we step aside from that, the deeper and more challenging aspects of life, the playpen also becomes a problem when you're journeying along and you realize, oh, crap, my new helping spirit I'm having so much fun with is an insect because I got told not to work with insects. And now I've got a dragonfly or a butterfly or an inchworm or a cricket or some kind of really wonderful or an earthworm some kind of exquisitely wonderful helping spirit, or I've got this great beetle helping spirit who's teaching me about boundaries because it has that outer carapace and then the wings underneath and teaching me how if I could learn to work that outer carapace, I could free up my wings and I could fly and I'm having a great time with my beetle and then all of a sudden I go, oh crap, it's an insect, right? So now the shamanic playpen is a problem or you carrying on in life realizing you're getting things really together because you've been working with this great helping spirit you absolutely love journeying with because the way it moves in the journey is so much fun and you're cool helping spirit that's really teaching you how to protect yourself is a barracuda and then you go crap my helping spirit is a fish with teeth now what am i going to do so this is when we need to understand the principle behind the rule the thing about the shamanic playpen is it's built of beliefs that are presented as rules. And the complexity of principles isn't gone into at all. That's what makes it a playpen. It's a safety net. And that, that, that what are really principles are presented as rules that you want to break. But of course, if you take a hankering and a liking to journey in and you start asking more complicated questions and you start asking more deeply about your life and your transformation, you're going to end up with butterflies and barracudas and you're going to start breaking the rules and you're going to need to understand the principles under the rules. And that's another reason the shamanic playpen is kind of genius because the rules aren't wrong. They're just not rules. They're principles. And principles bend and flex and move. Okay, so, for example, what is the principle behind the insects and fish with teeth? The principle is that when you're actually doing shamanic healing, illnesses often present in the body in the form of illnesses, uh, sorry, of insects, fish with teeth, any kind of animal with teeth that shouldn't have teeth, um, snakes, worms, flocks of icky blackbirds, things like that. But to present this to a beginning journeyer who's still trying to figure out how to get down to the lower world is just too much information. But once you're journeying 
And this is, don't miss this, people. This is absolutely critical if you want to truly learn to journey. What things feel like matters? What does that snake feel like? Does it feel like it makes you want to vomit? Because then it's probably the illness. Does it feel make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside? Or does it scare you? Then it's likely a power animal. But you can't know based on a rule. You have to understand the principle. And the principle is understanding about how illness manifests in the journey, the kinds of forms it takes, and what illness feels like when you encounter it in the journey, and how it feels different than helping spirits, and how helping spirits can be really scary when they present their power. And that's fine. Now, how is that different from coming upon an energy in a journey that is scary, is problematic, and shouldn't be dealt with? You know, and so the point is, outside of the playpen, there are some principles that are challenging. But it's way too much information for a beginning journeyer. And frankly, it's too much information for anyone until they start tripping over the rules and needing to understand the rules as principles. So the shamanic playpen is created by assumptions that contemporary people will make. The assumptions aren't given to them, but, but... They are the kinds of assumptions contemporary people will make and they'll keep making them until they get dashed upon the rocks of the shamanic shoreline. And so for most people, that dashing upon the rocks will just confuse them. And many people at that juncture actually wander away from journeying and shamanism. They say, I can't understand my journeys. They don't make any sense. You know, blah, 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 blah. What they're basically saying, it doesn't follow the rules anymore. It's too complicated. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to do it. Right. So an example then of what I'm saying is that the one of these assumptions on um, that get dashed upon the rocky shores of the shamanic world is the assumption that our helping spirits are moral versus the understanding of the amorality of the spirit world and our helping spirits. But that is one of the most challenging rocky shores of shamanism is to come upon the recognition that I am a human responsible for moral and ethical behavior in my life because of the nature of my free will and what it creates. And I am looking to beings in the spirit world that are from an amoral world. And I have to figure out how to negotiate that interface. Now, if I don't even understand there's an interface there, I'm screwed. Right off the bat, your journey will amp up 100% if you'll just come to terms with the amorality morality issue. So anyway, another belief in the shamanic playpen is the idea that helping spirits will not help sorcerers because sorcery is bad. Now, there's an idea in the shamanic playpen that the spirits will leave a sorcerer who will just be left in the end of life with just the perfume of power. Now, clearly, this isn't true if you've done any research in any shamanic cultures, which, let me remind you all, Michael Harner has done. So this idea about sorcery is embedded in the shamanic playpen intentionally to keep you focused on the things you should focus on journeying and keep you from, keep you from paying attention to things you don't need to be paying attention to. And it's intentional to keep you safe. But it's also created by someone who knows full well 
that the helping spirits work with sorcerers just as well as they work with shamans. And they work with both until the day that they both die. Okay. So why would this then be part of the shamanic playpen? Because for most people, this is simply a non-issue, right? And it keeps them on track of their own journeys. And it doesn't cause them to question their religion or their faith. And that's another thing about the beginning of working with people, teaching them to journey, even working with them as clients, is I do not tear down people's faith. I believe that we need faith. I happen to believe it doesn't really matter what we have faith in. We simply need the capacity for faith. But a lot of people believe that what they have faith in matters. And so I just don't want to dismantle that if I'm trying to get a person to focus over here at another part of their life and do a massive personal transformation. The last thing you want to do in that is kick out the, you know, the chair, the legs out from underneath the chair of the faith that holds them up. And so there's very well thought out reasons that the shamanic pay pen is designed the way that it is. And it's designed to keep people safe. And it's designed that way because it's really basically a non-issue for most people. Okay, so enough about the shamanic playpen. Let's move along on here to journey. So the thing about this is that I really crossed the line from shamanic practitioner to a practicing shaman when I ended up breaking every single rule that creates the shamanic playpen and exploring instead the principles that exist in the real energies underneath those rules. So it's not that you should just toss the playpen out. You really need to explore what is the principle, the true principle, that is the real thing that exists underneath the rule that makes the playpen. Because um, in the beginning, those rules are of value because they keep people safe on what for most contemporary people is largely a solo exploration. And what What Michael trusts, I believe, now I'm putting words in his head, but what I believe Michael trusts, because this was my experience and the experience of many of my peers, so colleagues, people that are actually becoming shamanic healers, is that for those people that are truly called to work outside of the playpen, they'll find their way out with their helping spirits. And so basically... It's another act of a masterful teacher to not make it his job to teach you about that, but to allow the helping spirits to help you find your way out of the playpen if you are indeed called outside of the playpen. So overall, what the helping spirits really want from us is for us to be fully human, to live robustly into our thread in that great tapestry of life. So from our perspective, the way we experience that is they want us to be better humans. But this is not a better human in a good, bad sense of better. It's being a better human in the sense of a willingness to fully understand, embody, and own our own power. And to understand the ramifications of our actions, to act with that power, and to give our gifts to the world. 
and in that to make beauty. Again, this is not because beauty is good or moral, but because as a face of the divine, if I am doing what I have come here to do, it will be beauty if I will just do it. And so the helping spirits come to us wherever we are in our life, at whatever state, whatever place we start to ask. The helping spirits come to us to help us to just do it, to help us to make the beauty that we've come into this life to do. And everything that we do here is in that context. So everything that we are learning We are learning in that context. So if I spend my entire life pursuing money out of a desire to have gobs of it, and I spend my entire life mastering the art in my time of making money, and in doing that, I don't ever really make beauty, but I make a lot of money, then that life has to be understood in the context of the beauty that I came here to make. It's not that that life is moral or immoral because maybe I made gobs of money and gave it all to fix kids' cleft palates or something. The question is, did I make the beauty that the divine came here through me to make? That's really the question. That's what the helping spirits are really in this with us for. That interesting dynamic with these crazy human beings who have this capacity to not make beauty. I'm looking out my window right now. It's not such a great day, but springtime has definitely happened here. There's beauty everywhere. I'm looking at this apple tree in full bloom, and that apple tree simply cannot choose to not make that beauty. Maybe trees have a free will. That's tree free will. I don't know what it is. I know they're part of the dreaming. And they dream of life with me. But I have the capacity to choose not to bloom. And that's why the helping spirits come to us as humans. Because we can choose to not make the beauty we came here to make. And so they come to help us. They come to help us meet those challenges and to use that incredible power in a good way. So... From a shamanic perspective, absolutely everyone from child to adult has a helping spirit to help us in these efforts. And though most contemporary people don't have any idea how to connect with that help and to use it, um, helping spirits are present for all of us. And if that's so, then why are they so hard to talk to? Well, the main reason they are hard to talk to is because we ask the wrong questions or we ask no questions at all. So when it comes to working with spirit through whether you're journeying or not, it is important for you to ask the right question right in the sense that it has actually something to do with whatever you're asking your questions about. So let me address the easiest part of this first. We ask no questions because culturally we as Americans, as Judeo, as a Judeo-Christian culture, even if you're not Christian or Jewish in America, you're seeped in those traditions 
even if you're another part of another religion, it still gets in. It's like a free download you get here in this country. And the problem with it is only one thing. One of the deep embedded messages in that mindset is that you will be saved. And the problem with waiting to be saved is you wait. Stop waiting. You're not going to be saved. You and your helping spirits need to do that yourself, right? Or another way to think of it is your helping spirits are the savior you've been given. So work with them. So ask for help. Ask for what you need. The biggest issue in communicating with spirit is that people do not craft questions in their mind. They do not ask for help specifically. They do not ask. They just go, ah, help me instead of asking specifically for help. And they do not ask for what they need because many people don't even know what they need. Okay, so that's issue number one. That's the easy one. We'll get that out of the way. The other issue is that we ask the wrong questions. And largely this is because we think about this whole experience here as about being good or bad or right or wrong, in America at least. And then partly that is because of how we are trained in school. Granted, I love school, but there are some serious problems in how we educate children in America. And it sets us up to try to get it right. Try to be perfect. Try to get the A. Try to graduate. And expect that if we do get it perfect, we should graduate. And I don't know about y'all out there, but I have really found as much as I succeeded excellently in school, life doesn't work that way. Yes, we are here learning, but the learning of life does not work the way the learning of academia works in terms of getting good grades, trying to be perfect and graduating. You can get it absolutely perfect and not graduate at all. So the issue here for us to understand is that this isn't about good and bad and right and wrong. And so we shouldn't be asking our helping spirits, what do I do? How do I get it right? What should this be? What should that be? We're missing the point. Instead, we need to see this as spirit sees it, as this human experience where everything is a gift. And that we are here learning to unwrap the gifts. Now, the happy gifts are certainly much easier to unwrap than the unhappy gifts. I'm still trying to figure out how to unwrap this lovely strep throat gift I was given last week. But nonetheless, it's a gift. And there are many shows in the archives about this idea. I'm not going to go into it today. Um, But there are shows about the small daily practice manifestations of this idea and the larger How do I deal with this experience that almost killed me manifestations? But the point is, everything that's happening is part of that gift, part of that life experience. And it is not enough people to just say, oh, things happen as they should and wander off. That's not what I mean. What I mean is gaining skills and working with your helping spirits to engage in the art of learning from life as the teacher. And this is a big part of year one in the cycle training is how do we skillfully, intelligently, and creatively work with spirit to actually get a grasp on what we're really being offered to learn in life and realizing absolutely Everything we are given is a gift. Everything. And different gifts need to be unwrapped differently. 
so I want to give thanks in this moment here because um, I got a letter from a listener this week with a lovely donation. Thank you very much. But the letter was was great. And in the letter, Chris, thank you very much, was talking about the bad guys are teachers too, which I fully agree with, as you've seen from many shows. And it is so, so much easier to communicate with your helping spirits if you grasp this, that even the bad guys are teachers too. Everything is a teacher. Everything is a gift. And it takes some skills to understand how to unwrap that. It is not enough to just say, oh, everything's perfect. Everything is as it should be. I guess this is how it should be. So blah, blah, blah. That is absolutely flaccid and false and inauthentic. And what our helping spirits are here to help us do is to be powerful and potent and authentic. And so another aspect here in communicating with your helping spirits is it really helps if you're not having two different conversations. It really helps if you and your helping spirits are talking about the same thing. So they're talking with you about you learn what you're learning relative to living your soul's purpose, and you're asking if this is a good boss or a bad boss. Now, it's just it's two entirely different quantum levels of conversations. And so it's easier for you to get really meaty answers from your helping spirits if you get with the program that they're on and have they, have their conversation with them and not try to drag them into your conversation. So there are two main areas for communicating with spirit. There's the everyday connection and the journeying connection. And by everyday connection, I don't mean to imply lesser because the everyday connection is the connection that evolves through mastery and skills into full embodiment. Because the everyday connection with your spirit is you being here in ordinary reality and your helping spirits coming to you and communicating with you. And that's delightful. And with um, skills and development that can grow into full embodiment of your helping, you being fully embodying your helping spirits. So one of the ways to nurture this, A, is to ask questions, B, is to listen to the answers, and C, is to do something with the answers and see what happens. Okay. But the other way to nurture this relationship in ordinary reality is by creating altars or shrines, creating sacred space in which you um, make a point to connect with your helping spirits. There may be power objects for your helping spirits there. Your helping spirits may have asked you to make a necklace or a power object of some kind, a mask, even a costume, and that these things would be here in this place. And it would be a place that you can communicate with your helping spirits in ordinary reality. It's, it's, a, it's a sacrifice to carve out a place of space in your life and dedicate it to your relationship with spirit. And that sacrifice in and of itself goes a really long way to grounding and forging a working relationship with spirit. Another way of working with spirit is leaving offerings. Um, especially out in nature, um, to find the song and the dance and to do the song and the dance. These are all things actually I've talked about on other shows, so I won't go too deeply into it. But the point is there are many things you can do in ordinary reality to develop your non-ordinary reality relationship with spirit. 
And to simply go naively with the idea from the shamanic playpen that you're going to have a rich and robust relationship with your helping spirits that are going to help you totally transform your life, find the love of your life and your soul's purpose. And all you have to do is journey and they show up whenever you have a question. I don't know about y'all, but there is no way in hell I would consider a, a lasting deep friendship with someone who just showed up whenever they had a question, asked me for an answer and then wandered off. You are developing a relationship with these helping spirits. And the more you can develop that relationship, the more powerfully you can communicate with them. So that leads me to number two in the general ways that we communicate with spirit, which would be in the journey, which is our willingness to learn some skills to, (coughs) excuse me, to extend our energy from here in ordinary reality and journey into non-ordinary reality. And so part of the the question here today then is, how do we journey better? So I'm going to actually just kind of run through an assortment of questions. They're not as well organized as I might like, but it's an assortment of questions from people about how do I journey better? And like I said in the beginning of this show, you know, I can go only so far into these answers before it becomes irresponsible. Because I'm starting to tell people I have absolutely no idea how experienced you are journeying. Some really serious advanced tricks for journeying. Because the thing about understanding the principles, giving up on rules, giving up entirely on a world of rules that that will make you feel safe. And learning instead that your shamanic life is based on principles. Then what we're learning in advanced shamanism is not advanced principles. Principles are principles. We're learning how to bend things and when to bend things and why to bend them and what principles can be bent and how to do that. And I am not about to tell you that in a podcast. So if you want to learn those things, you need to come learn in person because it's irresponsible for me to be just saying that on a podcast and then have some basic journey or go from you know, the foundation for shamanic studies, basic journeying course into these tricks for advanced journeying and end up who knows where in whatever realm and unable to get back and going to some shamanic healer to put them back together and saying, oh, I just did what Christina Pratt told me to do. So it isn't going to happen, people. But I will dive a bit here into journeying. How to journey better with your helping spirit. So I've said this before and I will say it again. After learning to feel accurately in your journeys, the second most important thing to understand about journeying is that we, as contemporary people, make too many assumptions, far too many assumptions. The main assumption is we have this very humanocentric, I don't think that's a real world, but you get my point. We have a very human view of everything. You know, we expect the trees to speak English to us, etc., And this is why um, I stepped out of the basic party line about working with helping spirits in these last few shows. And I'm getting more into this discussion about the amorality of the invisible world is we need to understand that the larger energetic world is based on other principles. It's not really based on the same principles as the human world. And yet those helping spirits are the ones that are most insightful in helping us to understand how to master uh, being um, 
a person who is invested in the good of all living things here. The other assumptions that we make come from having a very contemporary perspective on our life, on our journeys. And we don't realize that once we start working shamanically, we're actually moving into the realm that is driven more by myth and archetype. And that we need to understand those energies um, when the helping spirits point them out. We need to understand what they're saying. At the same time, we can't be too heavy-handed with them. Which leads me to the third overpowering assumption in our journeys and how we ask our questions and how we interpret our journeys is that contemporary people are very psychologically educated, although not all of that education is authentic. Some of it is very heavy-handed and some of it is presumptuous. And part of it is to understand that when we enter into the shamanic realm, the mental realm is not purely psychological. It is also archetypal, it is mythic, it is many things. And the purely psychological interpretation of shamanism will miss the whole point of doing shamanism. If you're going to stay purely in psychology, stay with your therapist. Stay in that psychological realm. But if you want to start to transform through shamanism, you're going to have to be willing to leave that realm. Not abandon it, not discount it, not discredit it. It's still valuable. But it doesn't describe everything. Neither does shamanism, actually. Okay, so the fourth kind of assumption that people make is really more of a requirement. People come to journeying with a requirement that things are not spiritual in any religious sense. And the problem with that is shamanism is spiritual. And much of what populates our world religions came out of shamanism. So when you consider that, that things are being shaped in that way, we need to realize that asking questions about all of this stuff is largely a waste of your time. And this is partly what I mean about some assumptions. So if you were journeying about your life under the assumption that any of that is real, then you're in trouble. So if you're journeying, however, to see through that or to see the deeper truth or to see the true source of all of that, then your journeys can be very fruitful. So I have a question from a listener who asks, how do you get started on a journey when it doesn't just start, like when the typical questioning setup just doesn't really work? So often this is the case of not seeing the real things. If, if we can't figure out how to start the journey, we often need to then do some journeying for perspective. Do some journeying to understand what it is that we're not seeing or um, another way to do it is without journeying. I mean, if you're really just at a loss of how to journey is to sit with the issue and um, to feel into it more fully and to do some personal process around the energy that you're journeying about first until you feel that you hit what I call the vein of gold. I know Julia Cameron has that too, but I mean a different vein of gold. 
so you feel into the issue until you until you find that energy cord that's really running through it. I guess the massage therapist is like when you're massaging someone and you find that tense place in the muscle that's really holding on. You find the thing that needs to be addressed and then you can journey about that. And the the beauty of journeying is if the energy feels like a cold, hard, blue apple stuck in your throat, even though you have no idea what any of that means, if that's where you get from your personal process, you can just journey and ask, what is the true nature of the cold, hard blue apple in my throat? And that journey will kick ass. So this is the thing that, again, back to the feeling, that your feelings, your personal process, and your journeying are meant to work together. And they work together, frankly, more effectively and directly than psychoanalyzing things. Not that that doesn't have its place. But these questions are people asking me about journeying. And if we're going to be in the shamanic realm, be in the shamanic realm. So another way to look at the same question is to look at the issue through your cosmology. And the problem with that statement is that most journeyers don't have a cosmology. Because as I've said before, upper world, middle world, lower world is not a cosmology. Um, it's... Excuse me, it's much too general to be called a cosmology. But what I mean by that, if I use an example of my cosmology, is I might have an issue going on at work that I don't really understand how to even begin to frame the question about, but it's really, really um, stressing me. And so then I have a dream Oh, I just realized we're almost out of time. I'm sorry. So then I have a dream. And in the dream at night, there's lots of water. So for me and my cosmology, water, an overabundance of water puts me in the West. And it puts me in the realm of the warrior. So I might go to the West and to the warrior and offer up my problem at work and my dream and just ask the warrior, where do I begin? And now this is another idea about journeying. Where do I begin to find the path of power? Or where do I begin to find the path of heart? Where do I begin to find the path of my soul's purpose here? I mean, there are many, many different paths. And that's another thing about journeying is just to recognize your relationship with your helping spirits is about you being on your path. I'm just going to take a quick minute here and just say, quickly in closing the important thing to remember about your helping spirits is that they will meet you where you are that doesn't imply that where you are is where you need to be but the beauty of our helping spirits is they meet us where we are open um, wanting information perfectly at peace happy to be journeying but they'll also meet us wretched drunk and failing at our sobriety yet another time They meet us when we're completely full of ourselves and they meet us when we're absolutely lost. And that is, of course, the beauty of our relationship with spirit is they will meet us wherever we are and help us to learn what it means for us to be better humans. So I want to give thanks to my helping spirits and for all the many years and the many ways they have completely kicked my ass and brought me to this place, which I enjoy fairly well. 
So I thank them. I thank the ancestors for gathering around us here today, the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Thank you all for joining us this week and have a good week.